Blog Talk Radio. following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author, and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never contacted Grace to You, we want to send you a free booklet by John called God's Sufficient Word. It will help you see that for every concern you have, every decision, every struggle, every sorrow you face, the Bible has the wisdom you need. Request your free booklet by writing to word at gty.org. That's word at gty.org. This offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2022. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's grace to you Bible teacher John MacArthur. 
Well, uh, we're going back to the Word of God as always, but back in particular to Ephesians after some time off. And I need to say a thank you to all the men who so ably preached the Word while I was away for a bit. But we return to where we left off in Ephesians chapter 5. And uh, this is a very brief passage. And yet it opens up for us a vast, vast amount of biblical revelation. It's almost um, unsearchable in what it maintains in terms of its scope. But you'll understand that as I read verses 15 to 17, Ephesians 5, 15 to 17. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Here we have the comparison between wisdom and foolishness. This is a very, very prominent subject in Scripture. In fact, this may be the simplest way to understand the difference between the children of God and the children of the devil. The children of God are wise. The children of the devil are foolish. It's that simple. All real wisdom resides with those who know God, and with those who do not know God, they are bound in folly and foolishness. This is uh, the way to understand the difference between a believer and a non-believer. One possesses wisdom from God, the other is a fool. So let's start with the negative aspect of it and maybe ask the question, what is a fool? And the definition is obvious to everyone. We can use synonyms to explain the definition of fool. We think of it as someone who is ignorant. That is, someone who doesn't know truth, doesn't know reality. We can think of a fool as someone who is irresponsible, who is indifferent to the normal responsibilities of life. We can think of it as a person who lacks education, lacks insight. Or we can go all the way to more familiar words like stupid and moronic. And more pejorative words. But we all know what a fool is. Someone who is without knowledge, without responsibility, without wisdom, without guidance. Someone left to himself in the folly of his own mind. That's sort of a general definition with which we can all be familiar, but... I want to dig a little deeper than just the typical definition, even with those synonyms, and show you the real definition of a fool. So turn in your Bible to Psalm 14. Psalm 14. And we're going to have a Bible study this morning, not so much a sermon, but really a Bible study. I, I want to try to help capture for you this marvelous and critical distinction between the wise and the foolish. Distinction, by the way, that is found all throughout Scripture in the Old and the New Testament. But let's start with the foundational statement about what it is to be a fool. Psalm 14. 
And verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. So there is the essential pathology of foolishness, a rejection of God. It may not be outward and overt. It may be something that you say in the heart, but there is in the heart the sense that there is no God. That's a theological conclusion. There is no God. This is the person who can look at the universe in all of its vastness and complexity in the macro creation and the micro creation and say it was made by no one. This is a person who can acknowledge personhood and personality and intellect and the full range of emotions and say all of that came from nothing. Didn't come from another person. This is the practical atheist who can say, I acknowledge there is right and wrong in the world. I acknowledge there is truth and error in the world. I acknowledge that there is the real and the false in the world. I acknowledge there are moral laws that are clear across the globe to all humankind. And yet I reject the idea that that moral law came from a moral being or in fact that it came from any being at all. I'm content with nobody times nothing equals everything, and the everything encompasses personhood and morality, and still it came from nothing. That is a fool. That is the foundational insanity of all insanities, say the greatest cause, the universe, the greatest, I should say, effect, the universe had no cause. So just talking from a philosophical standpoint, to deny God, to deny the source of everything that exists is foolish. But there's more here than that. The fool has said in his heart there is no God, not because he's come to an intellectual or rational conclusion that is neither intellectual or rational. The, the rest of the verse explains why. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. Here lies the real issue. Sinners don't want God because they don't want a just judge. They don't want accountability. They don't want an evaluation of their behavior. They, they don't want punishment. They don't want condemnation. So the fool says in his heart, not because it's intellectually sensible, but because he doesn't want to have to be accountable to any transcendent supernatural deity, there is no God, and that lets me be satisfied in my corruption and the committing of abominable deeds. The, the, the psalmist goes on to further describe the pathology of human depravity. All human beings come into the world in this condition. They are corrupt, and they begin by committing abominable deeds. And the reason is, at the end of verse 1, there is no one who does good. Again, this is a statement about the universal human depravity. Verse 2 says, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. And the conclusion, they have all turned aside together, collectively, all of humanity, have become corrupt. 
There is no one who does good, not even one. Now there you have the pathology of human depravity. They reject God because they are so bound in their sin and aware of what sin is and possessing the guilt because God's given them a conscience and the fear of punishment built in to the human psyche, they deliver themselves from that guilt and the fear of punishment by eliminating God altogether. This is universal. In fact, it's so universal that Paul borrowed this passage in Romans 3 when he described human depravity. His language comes right out of this psalm. There is no one who does good. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. No one does good, not even one. Paul quotes that in Romans 3, describing the sinfulness of man. You notice the word all appears a number of times, as does the word none. It's the alls and the nuns that make the indictment universal. So the defining character of the person called a fool is the rejection of the existence of God, any God who has any authority over his life, any right to judge his or her life, and the desire to be freed up to express corruption in every form. The defining character then of a fool has a theological component, a rejection of God, and a moral component. They do abominable deeds. We all were once in this condition, and that becomes clear in the language of Titus 3.3. I'll just read you that verse. It says this, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice, which is a word for evil and envy, hateful, hating one another. That's what foolishness is. It starts with rejecting God because there's a love of abominable deeds. It can then be characterized, as it is by Paul, as disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts, pleasures, spending our life in evil and envy, hateful and hating one another. In Romans chapter 1, we have a further description of the fallenness of man. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans 1.21. For even though they knew God, and this is universal, everyone with a rational mind must postulate a cause for the massive effect of the universe, a cause for personhood that must be personal, a cause for morality that must be moral, a cause for righteousness that must be righteous. So they knew God. They did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. It's not that they're not religious. They are. The next verse says they exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God 
for an image in the form of corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They worshipped idols. Yeah, man is an inveterate worshiper, but it is his nature to reject the true God because he doesn't want accountability to God's moral law and to invent a God after his own making in the form of some, some animal, some created creature that he perceives in some sense as less than himself. What is foolishness? Foolishness, by definition, is the absence of faith in, trust in, and knowledge of the true and living God. The whole world is full of fools. In 1 Corinthians, Paul helps us with filling out our definition. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14, A natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. They are foolishness to him. God is foolishness to him because he is a fool. A fool sees through his foolish eyes and turns everything into foolishness. In 1 Corinthians 3 and down in verse 18, we read this, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks he's wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. This is sarcasm. If you think you're wise when you're a fool, you need to become a fool to be wise. The wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. And verse 20 says, The Lord knows the reasonings of the wise. They are useless, futile in their speculations, airheads. So this is the foundational pathology of what it means to be a fool. You reject God and all that is true about God, and in its place, you put yourself and the gods of your own making. Proverbs 12:15 says this, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. That is the ultimate folly, to think you are the determiner of truth and reality and wisdom. And Proverbs 14.9 says, The fool will mock at sin. He mocks sin, and by mocking sin, he mocks God, who condemns him for that sin. Ecclesiastes 10, verse 2 says, The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. The picture there is of the fool being a wayward individual, wandering away from the path that is right. Isaiah 32 says, Fools make evil plans. Proverbs 26.11, this is dramatic. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. Graphic. So when we're talking about a fool, we're not just talking about somebody who's ignorant or somebody who's irresponsible or somebody who's stupid or somebody who's uninformed or unintelligent. We're talking about a fool in the sense that God has defined a fool and designated a fool 
That is one that rejects Him. Proverbs 1.7 says this, Fools despise wisdom. That's why we have so much trouble connecting to the world around us. Because we are the people who hold the wisdom of God. And we are living in a world of fools. And it all starts when you're born. Proverbs 22.15, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. You come into the world as a fool. This foolishness is defined many ways in Proverbs, and we could take a lot of time doing that, but I'll just give you some highlights. Proverbs describes the fool, the one who rejects God in favor of his own abominable deeds, in these very simple terms. Fools hate knowledge. Fools find no pleasure in understanding. Fools enjoy wicked schemes. Fools proclaim foolishness. Fools spurn a parent's discipline. Fools speak perversity. Fools are quick-tempered. Fools get in trouble with their proud speech. Fools mock at sin. Fools are deceitful. Fools despise their mother. Fools bring grief to their parents. Fools commit sexual immorality. A foolish woman tears down her own house. Fools are ruined. And fools are dangerous. And we're living in a world of fools. This doesn't bode well for fools. And Proverbs 1 shows us that. Proverbs 1, toward the end of the chapter, verse 29, we read this, And because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord... And by the way, Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's where wisdom begins. If you don't fear the Lord, you have no wisdom. Wisdom begins. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So verse 29 says, Fools hate knowledge and didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They don't choose to worship God. They would not accept my counsel. That is the counsel of wisdom. They spurned all my reproof. Here wisdom is personified. It's as if wisdom is speaking. They wouldn't accept wisdom's counsel. They wouldn't accept the reproof that wisdom brought. So, verse 31, they shall eat of the fruit of their own way. So much like Romans 1. They rejected wisdom and God turned them over to the consequences of their own choices. Verse 31 says, to be satiated with their own devices. For the waywardness of the naive will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Verse 33, But he who listens to Me shall live securely and will be at ease from the dread of evil. You want to stop being a fool? Listen to God. You want to stop being a fool? Turn to His revelation in His holy Word. If you continue to be a fool, you have your end laid out. Death and destruction.
A fool is the person who rejects God, His gospel, and His word. Fools die, says Proverbs 10, for lack of a heart of wisdom. I don't care what you know. I don't care how many degrees you have. You may profess to be wise, but apart from God and the knowledge of God and the fear of God and the knowledge of Christ and the gospel and salvation, you are a fool. And you are a fool willingly by choice because you choose your sin. That is the ultimate expression of folly. This foolishness is so deep in the humankind that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, when somebody comes along to preach the gospel, 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. When someone brings the truth, they see it as foolishness. This is how profound the deception is. They are fools who think they're wise and they think the ones who are wise are the fools. And then the writer Paul of 1 Corinthians quotes from Isaiah 29, where God says, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. When you come before God and you spout what you think is wisdom, the questions posed, where's the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? In God's eyes, the wisdom of the world is folly. But sinners relabel their folly as wisdom. As wisdom. By human wisdom, you can't know God. The only way to know God is through the foolishness of the preaching of the gospel. And in the 30th verse of 1 Corinthians 1, there's a marvelous statement. Christ Jesus has become to us wisdom. The day that you opened your heart to Christ, you became wise. That was an expression of obedience to the fear of the Lord. You you turn to God and you acknowledge God who said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to Him. When you turn to Christ, you honored God by honoring His Son. Jesus said, if you honor Me, you honor My Father. And at the moment you turn to God through Christ, you became wise. You became wise. Because 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ Jesus became to us wisdom from God. You passed from death to life, but you also passed from foolishness to wisdom. The world doesn't recognize that. They don't want us. They don't want our wisdom. It's not natural because the natural man cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to him. His mind is dark. His heart is dark because he loves his sin. But when you come to Christ, you come to wisdom. Listen to what Paul said in 2 Timothy 3.15. 
talking to Timothy. And he says that, Timothy, from childhood, you have known the sacred writings, the Scripture, which are able to give you the wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And then all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Timothy, when you heard the sacred writings, the Scripture, and when you believed the Scripture, you received the wisdom of salvation, and you entered into the capability to understand the Word of God. The natural man cannot, but you can because you have the mind of Christ and the indwelling Holy Spirit. In fact, John, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, says, You have an anointing from the Holy Spirit, and you all know. The reason you know what is true and what is wisdom is because you not only have the Word of God, you not only have a new creation that can apprehend the Word of God, but you have a resident truth teacher in the Holy Spirit. 1 John 2.27 adds this, As for you, the anointing which you received from Him abides in you, the Holy Spirit. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as His anointing teaches you about all things and is true and not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in Him. Amazing. Christ came to you and became to you wisdom. Your life was transformed. You became alive, alive to the mind of Christ revealed in the Word of God. And you became the temple of the Holy Spirit, who's the truth teacher. So from Christ, from Scripture, from the Holy Spirit, you have been given access to the truth. In the book of James, there's a familiar passage. It's in the third chapter of James. And uh, just looking at verse 13, who among you is wise? Who's wise? Who has understanding? Here's the answer. Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is behavior. It's not something in your head. It's something manifest in your life. And James goes on to say, if your life is marked by bitter jealousy, selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. That's not true wisdom. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and demonic. Earthly wisdom is natural wisdom, is demonic wisdom. Did you get that? So this is the condition of the whole human race. They are fools. The only wisdom they have is wisdom that is earthly wisdom, natural wisdom, and demonic wisdom, which means they are excluded from having divine wisdom. And you wonder why so many people do such stupid things. What else can you do if you're a fool? Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. And what characterizes the fools of the world is their inability to have meaningful relationships with each other. On the other hand, the wisdom that is from above isn't just head knowledge. No, it is pure, peaceable, gentle, 
reasonable, full of mercy, good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy. It is expressing itself in righteousness, in peace. Those that are wise have all those characteristics. So true wisdom is to fear God, to know God, through the knowledge of the gospel, and through the knowledge of the gospel comes the knowledge of Christ, and Christ becomes to us wisdom. And then we are transformed to be able to see the wisdom of Scripture where before we couldn't see it, and we are given the Holy Spirit to become our resident truth teacher. We have wisdom from above. That is wisdom on the issues that are spiritual, moral, divine, supernatural, theological. That's what it means to be a Christian. We are the wise in the world. That helps me to understand why I have so much trouble with what people decide and what they do and how they behave in this world. But what else would we expect, right? This is the pathology that is laid out for us. So with that in mind, let's go back to Ephesians And in chapter 5, remind ourselves of what Paul says. Therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise. You're not unwise. You're wise. So walk as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Back in chapter 4, at the beginning of the chapter, Paul called all believers to walk worthy of the calling with which they were called. In verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, walk worthy. In verse 2 of chapter 4, he says, walk humbly. Starting in verse 3, he says, walk in unity. Later in chapter 4, he says, walk in righteousness, separated from sin comes into chapter 5, and he starts in chapter 5, verses 1 through 7, and says, walk in love. And then in verse 8 to 14, it's walk in light. Walk worthy. Walk humbly. Walk in unity. Walk in righteousness. Walk in love. Walk in light. And here's the cap of the whole thing. Walk in wisdom. Walk in wisdom. These three verses give us a very simple outline. There are three things you have to see to understand your responsibility to walk in wisdom. First, you have to see life's priority. Life's priority. And here is the priority in verse 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise. You can sum up the whole Christian life in that command. Walk wisely. Walk wisely. Walk in the wisdom that is from above, in the wisdom that came to you through the knowledge of the gospel, through the Word of God, through the Spirit of God, through the presence of Christ. Walk in that divine light. Colossians, really, in chapter 3, And four, 
We have similar injunctions for walking. We'll see some of those in a moment. So this is not just the only place where this is stated. Very parallel to Colossians 4 and verse 5. Now, what do we mean by life's priority? It's just summed up this way. Therefore, now let's notice that if there's therefore, then it's drawing in something just said. What was just said in verse 14 was this. Awake, sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Quoting from the Old Testament. So the point here is you've been raised from the dead. You've been given new life. You are now alive. The light of Christ shines on you and through you. Therefore, be careful how you walk. You're no longer walking in the darkness. You're walking in the light. You're no longer participating in the unfruitful deeds of darkness back in verse 11. You're no longer doing those things that are so disgraceful you shouldn't even speak about them. You are walking in the light. Everything is visible. You have come alive. Therefore, since you are walking in the light, since everything you are and everything you do is exposed clearly, be careful how you walk. And be careful is really look. Look. Observe. Watch. Examine your steps. You have been transformed. Titus 2.11 and 12 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us that denying ungodliness and worldly desires, we should live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age. That's how we are to live. That's living wisely. Now remember, everything we need to know is in Christ. In Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, Colossians 2.3. We have all wisdom in Christ and in His Word and by the work of the Spirit in us. Back in Ephesians chapter 1, just notice two verses to substantiate this. Chapter 1, verse 8. Well, we can look at verse 7. We have redemption through the blood of Christ. We have the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished on us. And then this, in all wisdom and insight. This is talking about what happened to you at your salvation. You were introduced into the world of wisdom. Down in verse 8. 18, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that you will know what is the hope of his calling and what are the glory or the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. How would you know that? Verse 17, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Well, you have the Holy Spirit. But Paul is saying, I, I'm hoping, I'm praying that you will respond to the work of the Holy Spirit on your human spirit so that you can literally live in the wisdom that is yours. By the work of Christ, the presence of Christ, the presence of the Spirit, and through the Word of God. Now for a moment over to Colossians chapter 1. 
And just a couple of verses, verse 9 and 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please Him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Further, strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, joyously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. This is amazing. This is a truckload of promises. I pray for you that you'll have all spiritual wisdom so that you can walk worthy, so that you can please the Lord, so that you can bear fruit, so that you can increase in knowledge, so that you can be strengthened with power and might, so that you can attain steadfastness and patience and experience joy and be grateful. All of that comes from the wisdom that is made available at salvation through the Son, the Spirit, and the Word. It's all there. So we are the wise of the world. The world thinks we are the fools and they are the wise. The truth is they're the fools and we are the wise. So walk consistently in that wisdom. Order your daily steps wisely. Be careful how you live is another way to say that. Be careful how you walk. We're not going to always be wise. Even David admitted that in 2 Samuel 24 when he numbered the people to parade his power. And then divine conviction came over him and he was broken and guilty. And it says in 2 Samuel that David was so guilty for walking foolishly that he said this, Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I have done. And now I beg you, O Lord, take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have done very foolishly. Moses in Deuteronomy 32 calls out to Israel. And what does he say? Remember in verse 6, O foolish people and unwise. Even our Lord had to say to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, fools and slow of heart to believe all that the Scripture has revealed. There's plenty of folly still available to believers if they don't know the Scripture, okay? You have access to all wisdom. But you can ignore it, or you can have a superficial understanding of it, and you will play the fool. The Galatians did. Paul wrote to them, and in chapter 3, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Who has tricked you? You must know better. Jesus said in John 7, 17, If you are willing, you shall know the truth. It's there. It's there. Paul wraps up the book of Romans with a simple reminder. He says, Be wise. 
in what is good and ignorant in what is evil. What's that saying? That's saying you ought to know a whole lot more about what is good than you do about what is evil. And you live in a world where you are drowning in overexposure to what is evil. The one who is saturated by the Word of God is wise. And he walks in wisdom. Colossians 3.16 puts it this way. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. In all wisdom. We know what God's will is. We know what He desires. We know what pleases Him. We know about Him. We know His character. We know the truth revealed in Scripture. We understand Satan's traps. We know how to resist the devil, defeat temptation. We know how to walk wisely. That's life's priority. Walk in wisdom. And the blessings will just be poured out on you. But secondly, not only does the believer know life's priority, he knows life's brevity. Look at verse 16. Making the most of your time, that modifies the walking wisely. He understands the brevity of life, making the most of your time because the days are evil. You don't have time to be foolish. You don't have time to waste. You don't have time for folly. That's why the psalmist said in Psalm 90 and verse 12, So teach us to number our days that we may apply our heart to wisdom. That we may apply our heart to wisdom. You, you have to take account of the brevity of your life. Number your days. Time and wisdom go together. Wisdom doesn't waste time. It's not easy because the days are evil. And evil days inevitably are going to be short days. I mean, you could say that our lifespan is, is short because of evil. We're under the curse of sin. Life is full of the dangers that evil has perpetrated. All days are full of evil. The whole world is full of evil. Evil is everywhere. Paul has been saying that. Throughout the book of Ephesians, he said it in chapter 2. We walk according to the course of this world that is under the power of the prince of the air, the spirit that works in the sons of disobedience. We function in a world that is driven by lust and passion and wickedness. Chapter 4, verse 18, he says, The world can be defined as ignorant, hard-hearted, callous, sensual, impure, and greedy. And all of that shortens up everybody's lifespan and makes the challenge to live wisely very difficult. There's evil all around us. And evil shortens up everything. That means that the people around you don't have a lot of time. You don't have a lot of time. You must take every moment Evil people get worse and worse. 2 Timothy 3.13 The world is going to get worse and worse 
It's accelerating in its evil as time goes on. We're headed toward evil times in the Great Tribulation. We're headed toward horrendous evil under the rule of the Antichrist in that era of redemptive history. We're headed toward divine judgment, the short-circuiting of lives by the very fury of God. Time is short. Hell is forever. You don't have time not to be wise and to walk in wisdom and to communicate that wisdom. What does it mean when it says, make the most of your time? It's not chronos. It's not chronology. It's not chronometer time, clock time. It's the word kairos. It means eras, periods, epochs. The days are evil. Make the most of whatever era you're in. In a word, kairos means uh, the, the zeitgeist of any given cultural moment. Take stock of the, the evil of the moment you're, you're living in. And make the most of that opportunity. It's the opposite of waste. Your life, says James, is only a vapor that appears for a little time and vanishes away. You can't even say tomorrow we'll do this and that. You can only say if the Lord wills tomorrow we'll do this and that. If there's some unfinished business with regard to divine wisdom, you better get after it. Opportunity is in respect to time as time is in respect to eternity. Opportunity is the smallest piece of eternity, and the only piece you hold in your hand is what you have right now. Shakespeare said, There is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at its flood, leads to fortune. Omitted all the voyage of their life is bound in shallows and in misery. Opportunity is what we're talking about. Opportunity. We read in the Bible statements like this, The door was shut. Or the night comes when no one can work. Or you will die in your sins and where, you, where I go you'll never come. Or I will remove your candlestick, even spoken to a church. Make the most of the epic, the saga, your piece of history. Make the most. Work, Jesus said, while it is day. For the night comes when we cannot work. There's a third reality that must be recognized. You must understand life's priority, life's brevity, and life's sovereignty. At this point, you might be saying, okay, I, I want to live wisely. I want to walk wisely. What do I do? And verse 17 answers that. So then, do not be foolish. And here's the opposite of foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. That's life's sovereignty. You're not in charge, right? You're not in charge. We just read that from Colossians. Paul says, I pray that you would in all wisdom understand what the will of the Lord is. Urgency is no excuse for some kind of panic. 
say, well, how do I know the will of the Lord? It's written on the pages of Holy Scripture. So, to walk wisely, you have to understand that's your life priority. You have to understand life's brevity. You don't have time to waste. And life's sovereignty, you knew, you need to know what God wills. And He's laid it out in Scripture in detail. Your model for this is our Lord Jesus, who was wisdom personified, who also understood the brevity of life. He knew when His time had not come, and He knew when His time had come. And it was the one driving reality in His life that is summed up in what He said in John 4.34. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me and finish His work. And that's got to be your life. Walk in wisdom. That's your priority. Make the most of your opportunity and fill your life with what is His will and finish His work. Come to the end, you could say with Paul, I finished the course. I've kept the faith. Let's pray together. Lord, sometimes we can get caught up in making things more complicated than they need to be. And an experience like this portion of Scripture takes all the complexity out of it and reduces us down to something we can grasp and understand. And wonderfully and gratefully, we are in awe of the fact that You have not asked asked us to do what we cannot do, but You have only asked us to do what we can do. And we have literally the capability to live wisely because we have been given the wisdom that is from above. The wisdom of the Gospel, the wisdom of the Son of God, the wisdom of the Spirit of God, the wisdom of the Scripture. It's all available to us. Help us to walk in wisdom. And in so walking, we walk worthy and we bring honor and glory to Your name. And we make the Gospel attractive. And we open doors to present that saving gospel to those around us who see the wisdom in our life. We thank You for such a repository of treasure that in Christ all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden. And Christ is hidden in us. so that we are wise in the world. Give us opportunity to live that wisdom and proclaim that wisdom to Your glory, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible Teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. 
John MacArthur and Grace T.U. reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file. Get social with Truth Be Told Radio. Check us out on our Facebook like page as Truth Be Told Radio. You can find our website at truthbetoldradio.com. That is T-R-U-T-H-B-E-T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O.C-O-M. Truthbetoldradio.com. Do you have any questions, suggestions, comments, or want to tell us anything? Send those emails to truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. Remember, by sending us your email, you give us permission to read it on the air. So write us at truthbetoldradioshow at gmail.com. If you like to read blogs, we've got you covered. Check out ours at truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. That's truthbetoldradio.blogspot.com. Also, follow us on Twitter as truth, the letter B, then told radio. That is T-R-U-T-H-B. T-O-L-D-R-A-D-I-O. Once again, that is truth, the letter B only, not B-E, told radio. This is due to the restraints for Twitter's username link. Finally, to learn the testimony of Melissa Canchoa, the hostess of Truth Be Told Radio, see smilesandstuff.com. That's S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-O-M smilesandstuff.com So stay social with us and thanks for listening to Truth Be Told Radio. Dragons or dinosaurs? This is Ken Ham, CEO of a family-friendly Noah's Ark attraction south of Cincinnati. Dragons are usually considered nothing more than fun or scary characters in children's books or in certain TV shows. But are these creatures more than that? Well, consider that cultures around the world have legends of the same types of creatures and many depict these creatures in drawings, carvings, or even on national crests. And the pictures often look like creatures we know from the fossil record. That's right, like dinosaurs. Could dragons be the faded memory of when man and dinosaurs lived together? Well, yes. You see, according to the Bible's timeline, humans did live with dinosaurs. These creatures died out sometime after the flood of Noah's day. There's so much more to discover when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and plan your family's visit to our Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com. Who made you? God made you. What else did God make? All things. Why did God make all things? For His glory. How can you glorify God? By loving Him and doing what He commands. Where do you learn how to love and obey God? In the Bible. What's the Bible? God's Word. God's Word. God's Word. Monopoles, they're missing. This is Ken Ham, author of the new commentary on Genesis entitled Creation to Babel. 
The Bible describes God creating the universe over six days. But most people believe the universe began with a Big Bang billions of years ago. But the Big Bang isn't scientific. This week we'll see five big problems with the Big Bang. And here's the first, missing monopoles. Now, monopoles are hypothetical particles. They've never actually been observed. But if the Big Bang happened, these particles with just one magnetic pole should have formed and should still exist today. And yet, monopoles only seem to exist in the imaginations of those who believe in the Big Bang. This isn't a problem for Christians because God created. There was no Big Bang. Plan your visit to the family-friendly Noah's Ark at the Ark Encounter when you go to AnswersRadio.com. And listen to this program again when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Is there more than one God? No, there is only one God. And how many persons does this one God exist? Three persons. Who are the three persons? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Where is God? God is everywhere. Can you see God? No, I cannot see God, but He always sees me. Who were our first parents? Adam and Eve. What did Adam and Eve do? They sinned against God. What is sin? Sin is disobeying God. Why did God send Jesus into the world? To save his people from their sins. What did Jesus do to save his people from their sins? He died on the cross and he rose from the grave. From the grave. From the grave. Not enough antimatter? This is Ken Ham, author, speaker, and blogger on science and the Bible's reliability. This week we're looking at scientific problems with the Big Bang. Yesterday we learned the Big Bang is expected to have produced particles called monopoles, but they've never been found. Well, monopoles aren't the only particles missing. According to the Big Bang thinking, Matter was created from energy as the universe expanded, but such a reaction, if it was even possible, would produce both matter and antimatter in equal amounts. And yet there's only trace amounts of antimatter throughout the universe. So where's the antimatter? It's not out there, because the universe didn't come from a Big Bang. Matter didn't form from nothing. It came from the Creator God. You'll find resources to equip and encourage you in your faith when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com. Discover thousands of free articles and videos when you go to AnswersRadio.com. We kick it old school. 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 Come on, come on, don't miss the latest craze. Hit it for a minute, then it's on to the next phase. Easy come, easy go, the marketers will hack it. The only change that comes, winds up in a pocket. Yeah. 
piece of bread We act as if the holy word of God is all but dead All we need to know is right there on the pages Why are we obsessed with who the guy on stage is? Dance the hottest dance, get the latest buzzy You're gonna find out Jesus wasn't very fuzzy, was he? You can take the news So many stars, but not the right ones. This is Ken Ham inviting your family to encounter God's Word at the Ark Encounter. This week we're looking at problems with the Big Bang. For example, if the Big Bang happened, there should be particles called monopoles and antimatter throughout the universe, and yet we don't find monopoles and only a small amount of antimatter. Another thing is missing, population three stars. These stars are thought to be the oldest stars and should be made entirely of the three lightest elements, hydrogen, helium, and a bit of lithium. These stars are thought to exist for billions of years, so some should still be found throughout the universe. But they're not there. No, the universe didn't start with a big bang. God created. Discover the truth of God's Word from its very first verse when you visit us at AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the family-friendly Ark Encounter at AnswersRadio.com.
A failed rescuing device. This is Ken Ham, editor of the apologetic series of books, The New Answers Books. If the universe started with a Big Bang, it would have been very hot and dense, expanded to today's vast universe. Now, the universe is the same temperature everywhere, but there's not enough time, even with billions of years, for opposite ends of the universe to have exchanged heat. This is a big problem for this model. So scientists propose something called inflation. They say maybe the universe rapidly expanded right after the Big Bang, faster than the speed of light. This may fix the problem, but there's now a new problem. There's no evidence for inflation. Inflation only exists in the imagination of scientists who want the Big Bang to work, but it's not scientific. Find resources to equip you and your family when you visit AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com. The sobering question that comes to the minds of most Christians when someone of high profile dies is, will this person die again? Was Queen Elizabeth a very Jesus Christ? She said she was, and if that's the case, Queen's faith was evident from an early age. At the beginning of World War II, 13-year-old Elizabeth handed her father, King George VI, a Christian poem which she later quoted in a public speech. In 1957, she even quoted from the Christian allegory, Pilgrim's Progress. I would like to read you a few lines from Pilgrim's Progress. Because I'm sure we can say that Mr. Valiant the truth. In the year 2000, she spoke of her personal accountability before God, saying, To many of us, our beliefs are of fundamental importance. For me, the teachings of Christ and my own personal accountability before God provide a framework in which I try to lead my life. I, like so many of you, have drawn great comfort in difficult times from Christ's words and examples. Hold fast that which is good. Render to no man evil for evil. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the afflicted. Honor all men. Then in 2014, the Queen said that the life of Jesus was an inspiration and an anchor in her life. Jesus Christ lived obscurely for most of his life and never traveled far. He was maligned and rejected by many, though he had done no wrong. And yet billions of people now follow his teaching and find in him the guiding light for their lives. I am one of them because Christ's example helps me see the value of doing small things with great love. Renowned Christian author J.I. Packer said, The Queen is a Christian lady resolved to live out her vow till she drops. She merits unbounded admiration from us all. As myself, a Christian, a Commonwealth citizen, and an oldest old with my own lifetime commitment to God, I aim to follow her example of unflagging faithfulness. Remember Muhammad Ali? Dancing around the ring, firing off all his famous one-liners. Float like a butterfly, sing like a bee. I'm a bad man. I'm the king of the world. And it's as if so I blinked and then looked back at my television screen and there was Muhammad Ali standing on a stage to receive an award, his hands shaking from the advanced stages of Parkinson's disease, his fast-firing one-liners reduced to slowly spoken two or three-word sentences. 
Do you remember Superman? Faster than a speeding bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And it sounds like I turned my head for a moment and looked back, and there was Superman on my television screen. Christopher Reeves, a quadriplegic. He exchanged his cape for a wheelchair, his mighty wind-gushing lungs for a ventilator, his robust and bulletproof body for one that no longer even works. My friend, the Bible says that our life is but a vapor. It's like hot breath on cold air. We see it for a moment, and then it vanishes away. My question to you is, what is time, this blip that we know in comparison to eternity, in comparison to forever? Are you ready for it? Psalm 90, verse 12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. That someone even as legendary and as iconic and as seemingly invincible as Queen Elizabeth will indeed succumb to death. And so will you, my friend. Turn to Christ. Place your faith in his death and his resurrection. Receive that free gift of everlasting life as you repent and trust in him. Because he's the only solution to the problem of death. Because in him there is life eternal. As tragic as it is for the queen to die, let's not lose focus on who is really in charge. You see, Jesus' reign will not have an end. And regardless of who is next in line to succeed Queen Elizabeth, Jesus will always be king. Why? Because he is the king of kings and he is the lord of lords. He does not stand in a long line with other leaders like Buddha or Confucius or Muhammad. Why? Because he is the ruler of rulers. He is the capital K of kings. If he's had no predecessor, he'll have no successor. You cannot impeach him. For there's no other name under heaven given among men, whereby which man must be saved. I used to be a lot more religious when I was younger. I used to go to church and stuff. But the older I get, the more I strain strain away from it. Um, Why is that? Is it because the hormones kicked in and girls were a better shape than Noah's Ark? Is that why? That's part of it. That's, uh... Well, let's be honest with you to say that. How do I go to heaven? What do I have to do? I think you have to believe. You have to believe that there's a Savior and there's a higher power. Heather believed in the Savior. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, we had God with us written on the belts of Nazi Germans. And uh, he was a baby kisser before he got into power. He talked about God and all sorts of stuff. But when he got into power, he had his own Bible written, had 100,000 printers, had 12 commandments instead of 10. And uh, Jesus was an Aryan and not a Jew. He was a nasty character, but he believed in Jesus. So is that all you have to do, believe? No, I think you have to live a, a life of, you know, um, somewhat kind life. You have to live a, a good life. Is there any evidence for God's existence? Well, I mean, that's the whole purpose of faith is there's, like, the Bible. Um, but there's no, it's, that's where faith comes in. Believing in God's existence has nothing to do with faith. I'll tell you why. When you look at a building, you don't believe there was a builder. You know there was a builder because buildings don't build themselves. When you look at a painting, you don't believe there was a painter. You know there was a painter. So when you look at creation, flowers and birds and trees, the sun, the moon, the stars, the seasons, fruits, male and female, all these things show us the genius of God's creative hand. But when we speak about faith, we're talking about trust in God's integrity, like you trust a parachute or like you trust a, a pilot or like you trust your doctor when he gives you medicine. You just put your faith in. So that's what faith is when it speaks of faith in God. So how are you doing? 
Um, <laughs> I'm doing good, I think. Sure. Yeah, I'm definitely not Hitler. <laughs> yeah, definitely not Hitler. But, you know, if I was going to jump out of a plane and you said, you got your parachute on, I, I wouldn't want to hear, or you wouldn't want to hear, I'm doing good, I think. You want to know that parachute's on and it's going right. to open. So the yeah. Bible says, make your calling and election sure. Have you been born again? I haven't. you know what that means? I think it's to... Uh, reconfess your faith. No. No? No, it's in John chapter 3, and Jesus said, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so you're not going to get to heaven unless you're born again. So we've got to make sure you're born again, or at least you know what it's about. Now, do you think you're a good person? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect. Uh, everybody does things that they probably shouldn't do. But I do my best to minimize that as much as possible. So have you lied and stolen? I mean, I'm sure I have. I mean, I know for a fact I've lied before and I've probably stolen some stuff as well. Ever use God's name in vain? Uh, yes. Love your mom? I do. Did you ever use her name as a cuss word? No. Why not? Um, no, that's a great question. It's not. It's very simple. It is a simple question. You respect her. That's why you wouldn't right. use her name as a cuss word. Right. But you don't respect the God that gave you a mother and gave you life because you've taken his holy name and use it in place of the S word to express disgust. Right. See, that's called blasphemy, very serious in God's eyes, punishable by death. Jesus said, if you look at a woman and lust for her, you commit adultery with her in your heart. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Sex outside of marriage. So here's the summation. David, you're not a good person. You're like the rest of us. You just <laughs> told me that you're a lying, thieving, blasphemous, fornicating, adulterer of heart through self-righteousness, through self-righteousness, which is a sin in God's eyes. No. So on Judgment Day, you're going to be innocent or guilty when you stand before God. How guilty? Heaven or hell? Uh, it, it, what's coming to me, it should be hell. Uh, definitely. The Bible says all liars will their part in the lake of fire. No thief, no blaspheme, no adulterer will inherit God's kingdom. So what can you do to be saved? I, you know, I don't know. Do you know what death is, according to the Bible? Most people don't know what it is. Uh, not according to the Bible, I don't. Wages. Okay. Bible, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. In other words, God is paying you in death for your sins. Like a judge gives the death sentence to a murderer. He says, you've earned the death sentence. It's your wages. It's what's due to you. It's what you've earned. And sin is so serious to a holy God, it's not to us. We make little excuses. You know, it's just a kid. Or just so little things. They were just fibs and white lies. But sin is so serious to him, he's given you the death sentence. In fact, your death will be evidence that God is deadly serious about sin. So what can you do to be made right with God? Believe and read his word. Well, that won't help. It'll just condemn you while you're in your sin. It's like saying, Judge, uh, I've broken the law, but I'm going to read law books. (laughs) You are going to be guilty. I I don't know. I don't know. I don't. You actually do but you don't understand it, and because you don't understand it, you don't value it. Have you heard of Jesus dying on the cross? Correct, yes. The Bible says he suffered for our sins. That's what happened on that cross. We broke the law, the Ten Commandments. He paid the fine. That's why he said it is finished just before he died. Dave, if you're in court and someone pays your speeding fines, the judge will legally let you walk and say someone's paid these fines, you're out of here. Even though you're guilty, you walk because someone paid your fine. And even though you and I are guilty before God, he can let us live forever. He can take the death sentence off us, all because Jesus paid that fine in his lifeblood, rose from the dead and defeated death, and all you have to do to find everlasting life is repent and trust in the Savior. You know what repentance is? Yes. 
It, it comes from contrition. Do you know what contrition is? I don't. It means to be sorry for your sin. And the Bible says godly sorrow works repentance unto life. So you must repent with a genuine sorrow and then trust in Jesus like you trust a parachute. What has God done for you? Give me life. Given your eyesight to see with, ears to hear good music, taste buds to enjoy good food, you giving your brain to think with, the ability to appreciate a blue sky and the sound of birds, he's given you love and laughter, friends and family, the liberty of this country. And so you, you owe him everything. And the Bible says the first and greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You haven't done that. You're saying, God, I don't care about what you think, and yet he gave you life. Jesus said, he that saves his life will Don't try and hold on to the life that God gave you, because Jesus said, you're going to lose it. Yield it, yield it back to God, and he will change you. He did it with me, and he's done it with millions of others. And realize that it's your love of sin that keeps you from coming to Christ. It's that pornography and that fornication. You're delirious with joy. But God gave sex within the bounds of marriage. You've, you've been given the apparatus for sex. Same with a woman. God's given you the ability to have pleasure in a woman's shape. But within the confines of marriage, your dad gives you a Lamborghini and says, son, keep, keep on the right side of the road and don't drink and drive. If you drink and drive, he's going to take the keys back off you. He's just given you a couple of conditions, and God's given you conditions. Sex within the bounds of marriage, so you can procreate, so you can have pleasure and procreation. Make kids after your own kind. And God says, just obey the rules within the confines of marriage. And if you don't, he's going to take the keys off you. He's going to take every pleasure you love away from you because you're ungrateful and unthankful. I'll leave you with the words of Jesus. Do you respect Jesus? Yeah. He said, what shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? So um, my, my, uh, my confidence is that you're going to think about this because you love life. You're going to realize how much you value your life and, and what happens if you lose it tonight in your sleep. You're going to jump out of a plane. Why would you put on a parachute 10,000 feet? So you land safely. And your motivation is fear. Is that right? To jump? No, fear to put the parachute on. You don't want to die. Correct. Correct. And that fear is your friend, not your enemy. Because it's causing you to put on a parachute. And tell you, because I love you, I try to put the fear of God in you, hoping you'll see that fear is your friend, not your enemy. Because it'll drive you to the cross where you'll say, God, I've been a a wretch. I've lived my life in rebellion to you. You. I've been self-righteous, I've lusted, I've done all sorts of things I know are morally wrong, morally wrong, please forgive me. And then when you put your trust in Christ, God will, will give you righteousness. He'll wash you clean in an instant because of his amazing grace. Not because you're good, but because he's good and right. kind and rich in mercy. Is this making sense? Yes, yes. Are you sorry for your sins? Oh, absolutely I am. So when are you going to repent and trust the Savior? Starting today. You mean that? I do. Can I pray? Can I pray with you? You can. Lord, I, I pray for David, isn't it? David. Lord, I pray for David. Thank you for his honest heart today and for his openness to the gospel. I pray he'll remember his secret sins and things he's done in the past and find a place of true contrition and godly sorrow and this day be born again all because of your kindness and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do you have a Bible at home? I do. Have you heard of King Solomon? I have. This is taken from the book I wrote uh, called Wisdom for Life, and Solomon was the wisest man who lived outside of Christ. So that's my gift to you. Thank you so much. Your wife for letting you stay in Paul. Well, thank you so much. Nice to meet you. Yes, you too. Very nice to meet you, and thank you for the eye-opening experience.
that's all I got for Truth Be Told Radio. Gotta go out with Yancy and friends and the V I V L E. Bye for now. <laughs>